0: You're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, online at medicalschoolhq.net. Session number 16. Hello, and welcome back to another awesome session here at the Medical School HQ Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gray, and we are the podcast about medical school, From the pre-med process through residency, we hope to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. What if I told you that you could get into medical school without taking the MCAT? What if I told you that you could get into medical school without taking organic chemistry, without taking biochemistry, and without taking physics? What if I told you that you could get into a top 20 medical school Know that you're in at the end of your sophomore year, and spend the rest of your undergraduate time learning and exploring what you're passionate about. It may sound like hogwash, but it's actually a reality. The Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai has a new program called FlexMed, which allows you to do all of that. FlexMed is not completely new, although it's in the news a ton now but it's an upgrade of what was previously known as humanities in medicine which which has been around since 1987. In today's podcast session, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Muller, the dean of medical education at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He shared some valuable information for you the listener to prepare yourself so that you will be a competitive applicant to the FlexMed program in the future. Dr. Muller also shares with us his thoughts on what he hopes the FlexMed program can do for medical education and healthcare in the future. We begin by talking about the fact that FlexMed really isn't brand new, but is just a change to humanities and medicine.
1: Yeah, so we've had, we've had a, a program since 87 called Humanities in medicine, and Medicine, and we clearly based this on the lessons we learned from that program. Um, and trying to take advantage of its strengths and then shore up some of its you know weaknesses. Um, so you're right; it's not a, a brand new concept, um, but it is going to be. It's going to be very different than Humed. Hopefully, it, you know it pulls in some of the really great stuff that, that's come out of that first program.
0: Okay. Can you give a, a general overview of what FlexMed is, or what you hope to hope it will be in the future?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, what? So LexMed is, um, is an opportunity for students who are very serious about their pursuit of a career in medicine, um, but who also don't want to sacrifice what should be you know, a broad and deep college experience um, and also don't want to be exposed to what we, I think we all know, um, is sometimes a very uh, detrimental environment in the pre-med world um, to have an alternate an alternative path to medical school. Um, I guess that's sort of the very, very broad way of describing it. But the slightly more detailed version is that, um, you know, for students who get into the program, they find out early enough that um, it opens up a lot of opportunities for them in college because they don't have to take the traditional science requirements. They don't have to take the MCAT. They don't get sort of pulled down by the pre-med syndrome thing, you know, the sort of competitive grades, obsessed um nature of what pre-med is like just about everywhere and um and they get to study explore whatever it is they're passionate about if it's if it's biology or chemistry as that's applied to medicine then that's really what they should pursue if it's uh physics or computer science then the same holds true and if it's you know uh french literature or philosophy then then this you know the concept i think is the same regardless of what someone is hoping to really learn um as a college student. Um, so that's that's a couple of the concepts. It's time available in college that at present isn't available. It's coming kind of off of the grid of the intense competition that lasts throughout college, and its avoidance of the exam, the MCAT exam. Um, the other part of it that's I think important, that's different than humed, humanities and medicine, is that we thought really carefully about what people really, what people actually ought to be studying. Uh, before they come to medical school that will make the medical experience better for them and will make them better physicians or better physician-scientists. And so what we've tried to do there um, is change the requirements to things that we think are much more relevant um, and update the the science part of it so that it's science that really matters in medical school and not, you know, orgo, physics. Um. Mm.
0: So you're you're not throwing out all requirements, but you're... You've kind of narrowed down what you feel are the most important ones.
1: Right. Yeah. So we didn't throw out basic bio and basic chem. Um, We gave students the flexibility of accomplishing their physics competency even in high school because, you know, from our faculty, our teaching faculty's perspective, you don't need much more than AP physics in high school, you know, that physics level to get the physics that you need to get through medical school. There's no need to take, you know, a whole year of physics. And then we added uh, a semester each of um, something in the realm of health policy, public health, global health, you know, that's sort of the big picture of medicine, a semester of a course that fits into that category, a semester of a course that fits into the ethics or bioethics category, Um, and then some exposure to statistics or biostats as um, an area within mathematics that really people will be using throughout their career you know, and reading and understanding the literature and, and um, interpreting data from uh, work-ups they do with patients, you know, that, that to us seems much, much more relevant than any other kind of math that's currently required. Um, we, we struggled with trying to figure out how to provide uh, pre-med students with the science base that we think they need for medical school. So, in, in for, you know, there's a set of organic chemistry and physics, uh, biochem, some cell biology, some genetics, um, and the challenge there, I think, is is that it's hard um, it's hard to set a particular expectation, given how differently things are laid out at the different colleges around the country. You know what I mean? In some in some colleges, you can't take biochem until you've done an enormous number of prereq courses, um, and in others, you can take. And, and so it's structured so differently. And I don't think that the universities are yet motivated to create courses in those areas that are geared towards someone who's headed to medical school as opposed to someone who's headed to a graduate degree, you know, in biochemistry. Um, so, what, the way we decided to, to handle that is that for people who are going to pursue a science major anyway, they can certainly meet those um, requirements in their undergraduate years. But for people who aren't going to pursue are not going to pursue a science major, um, we'll provide them with a six-week course that our faculty are putting together that will cover the, the basic, you know, sort of the fundamentals of biochemistry, cell biology, genetics, and we'll prepare them for those first two years of medical school.
0: Okay. Does that make it, sense? Yeah, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And obviously, having been through it myself, I would agree with pretty much all of that, with what you really need to get through medical school and what you need as a practicing physician. A lot of the pre-med requirements, all those check boxes that you have to check, that you, that you've previously had to check, that y- you really don't use it and you don't need it, right? And it's they're they're really not skills that you you really build upon. Um, that the stuff that you've cut out, it seems like.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's it's a fascinating disconnect between people who've been through medical school, who I think, I mean, I've yet to meet someone who says that organic chemistry was a pivotal part of the. Is, <laughs> Nobody. I won't Um, be your first. Right. And yet at the same time, um, undergraduate institutions clearly haven't gotten that message, probably for a variety of reasons. Um, And then, you know, when we look at things like, uh, you know, the blog sites or comments that people post about a uh, proposal like this, there are lots of people out there in the, you know, in society who, when they hear that a doctor may not have organic chemistry, they think of that person as a uh, poorly trained doctor. You know, I don't want to see a doctor who hasn't taken organic chemistry. So, so clearly, the, the, the some of the public, not all, probably not even most, but some of the public has bought into this concept of, you know, you, how could you not take physics and be a doctor? You know, I don't want to see a doctor like that. They, they're not going to know what they're talking about. And yet, all of us in the profession think, physics? When When's the last time I even thought about physics? So, you know, it's our attempt to sort of push past that um, that myth, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I wonder how much of that is just typical fear of change. Yeah, and, I think
1: that's a big. That's probably a big part of it,
0: and a a kind of uh, lack of understanding that. Just just because that's the way we've done it doesn't mean it's the best, and we 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 all have data that shows that our healthcare system is definitely not the best in the in the world. Right. And, and Organic
1: chemistry is not making it any better.
0: Yeah, and you have other countries where, and the Washington uh, Wall Street Journal just had a, a good article about it, where an MD degree is basically a bachelor's degree in many a, a other countries.
1: Right. That's exactly right.
0: So I I would say or or I would ask Do you think that this is a first step in kind of going towards that direction of understanding that the rigors of the pre med life and, and a bachelor's degree really don't determine what kind of doctor you're going to be?
1: Um, it's an interesting question. So say it again. So. Your question is the, the rigors of a pre-med life.
0: So, it, it, what it comes down to is: Do you think? Do you see in the future medicine in in this country or, or medical school in this country going more towards what it is in Europe and in, in many countries in Europe, where Got it's, it. it's more it. of straight out of high school? You've, yeah, you've so shown your competencies through high school. Okay, let's let's go get a medical uh, degree.
1: So here's. So that's, I, I, find it, I find that to be a fascinating question because anyone who thinks long and hard about why things are structured the way they're structured here has to think about systems in other countries. I mean, you know, we're not the only ones producing doctors. We're also not the only ones producing brilliant doctors or brilliant scientists. You know, we we like to think that we're ahead of the curve and we may be in some ways ahead of the curve in terms of things like innovation and discovery maybe. Um, but we're, you're right, we're certainly not ahead of the curve in terms of provision of clinical care and meeting society's needs. So so my take on that other system, and this is just totally a, a personal opinion, that could be way off, but um, societies like the ones in Europe, you know, France, England, Germany, all of them that have that system, right? where right out of high school, you enter medical school. Um, their systems are, are based on... Um, I guess, a, a meritocracy. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but they're basically they're, they're based on, on an examination you take. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, how familiar you are with the way school is structured there, but at the end of high school, you basically take an exam. And if you get above a certain score on that exam, then you have access to medical school or mm-hmm. law school. And if you don't, you don't. You're out. There are no other options. There is no American way. There's no, you know, um, anyone is... I mean, it's, I, I feel like it boils down to... Um, the, um, the American dream that we sort of sell and believe in in this country, and that maybe is true, which is that anyone has the capacity to accomplish what they want, um, given the opportunity to do it. And I think I think a lot of European countries, um, and a lot of the way life is structured, you know, the whole idea of having a, a socialized medical health system and providing all those benefits to people, is it's a totally different outlook on life. So I don't think in this country we will ever, we'll ever come to the point where we will accept the fact that if your kid is not smart enough at the end of high school to nail that exam, they're just not going to be a doctor, period. Forget about it. And there there are some exceptions to that in Europe, but they're, really, they're, they're rare exceptions to someone who can get into medical school despite not having done that. But here, I think people still really feel very strongly. They really believe that um, whether whatever it is you want to achieve, including being a physician, You should have the opportunity to do it whether you're the smartest person or not necessarily. Maybe you're the most creative person, not the smartest person. Maybe you come from an incredibly disadvantaged background, so it's taking you longer to get to the same place as someone else. Maybe you explored another field of interest or a different career, and then you did a pushback, and then you came back to medicine. And that's much more um, the way things are structured here. And I feel like it's aligned with that whole, you know, American dream thing, you know, where people rise up out of poverty or a new immigrant family and the first kid in college, and they get to have a shot um, at something like medical school as well, so uh, that may be completely delusional on my part, but I feel like that drives the system there where you could you can really skim the intellectual cream of the crop when they're finishing high school in Europe mm-hmm. um, and say, Okay, we think you guys can make it, you get to go to medical school, everyone else yeah you're just never going to have that opportunity,
0: yeah that makes sense. I like that with a a a somewhat decrease in the pre med hard sciences do you it, it has it been your experience with the humanities and medicine program and then moving forward? are students coming in? shell-shocked with the amount of science that they have to know and a they, bit. they have to get through?
1: A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So that that's interesting because that's one of the other lessons that we learned from the program. So what's happened historically over the years is that, uh, you know, there's always there's a range. Some people come in, they've all had the same exposure to science, which as you said is very limited. Despite that, some of them come in and they just fail right through this stuff. Um, and some people do come in and they struggle in the beginning. And what we find is that after about the first semester, they uh, they get their bearings and they're pretty much on par with their peers. So on the one hand, we have seen that there's a little bit of that shell shock in the beginning, but that the recovery is pretty quick. And by the end of medical school, their academic outcomes are essentially indistinguishable from their peers. But the other lesson that we learned from that is that, um, that we rely too heavily on um, the the motivation, the determination, and the intellectual prowess of these kids to get through the system, and we didn't prepare them as well as we should have. So that's part of what drove us to say, you know what, we need to do something that that better prepares these FlexMed kids for medical school without drowning them in science, much of which is irrelevant, but giving them a good enough foundation. So that's where the idea came to provide a six-week course that was going to expose them to biochemistry and cell biology and some genetics and avoid some of that shell shock.
0: Okay. I I wonder, I'm assuming a lot of it, and, and this is more of a personal thing, having taken three years off between undergrad and medical school myself, mm-hmm. and once I was back in medical school, it was almost like I had forgotten how to study. So I wonder how much of it is just a... A lack of uh, knowledge on how to study the hard sciences, and not really.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. And and it's it's not you know for these students it's not a long gap like the one you described. But it's because it was a humanities program, they were they were used to studying material in a very very different way. I mean the way they process information, um, the level of discussion and give and take in humanities uh, majors uh, exams or essay exams, and all of a sudden. You're giving them an enormous amount of material that, A, they have to memorize, B, they have to regurgitate on a multiple-choice exam, and they may not have ever taken multiple-choice exams in their humanities major. So that that you're absolutely right. That structure of learning left them at a little bit of a disadvantage, and then they just sort of picked up the routine and figured it out. So I think in FlexMed, you know, there will still be a fair number of humanities majors who get in, but there'll be all the other science and, and uh, computational science majors who are actually used to studying science in that way and are used to taking those kinds of exams. So I think that the shell shock component will be much lower because of that and because we're going to provide them with a foundation in the relevant biomedical sciences right before they enter school, you know, and that's six weeks before they matriculate.
0: Okay, great. And... I think something new with FlexMed is the number of available seats for the program. Has that increased?
1: Yep. So right now, Humanities Medicine has been, for several years, a quarter of the class. Um, So within a couple of years of launching this, we will incrementally go up from a quarter to a half a class. Okay.
0: Have you seen any kind of differences with interactions between the... The, the class with the humanities and medicine students and the, the normal pre-med students, is there a difference or do they kind of just mesh all together?
1: Um, they, they mesh. I mean, the, there are certainly no distinctions in terms of what they do once they're in medical school. Um, there's no way to distinguish them, you know, from a faculty perspective. None of us really know who's who, just like, I don't know who an MD PhD student is necessarily compared to a regular MD student. Um, so they mesh. They, 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 uh, have, I'm trying to think of if there are any other exceptions to that. You know, in the humanities program, and to a lesser extent in the FlexMed program, because the students will have spent some time before matriculating in a summer program, they, there's a little bit of socialization that happens among them. So, so to some extent, or to a limited extent, they enter medical school having already met some of their classmates and bonding um, but, you know, again, once you're in medical school and you're with a whole group and you meet lots of other people who have shared interests and you're in it for four or five or more years, um, most of that kind of dissolves away. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of indistinguishable.
0: Okay. And then in terms of academic success, I know 2010 you guys produced a, a, or um, produced an art... Uh, I can't think of the word... An article? An article, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All I could think of was like a newspaper article. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I know, I know. But yeah, it, um, there was an article that you guys put out that, that showed some of the differences and how mostly there was no statistical difference between success. Right. Can, can you comment a little bit about what was in that?
1: So uh, we tried to look at every conceivable outcome. We looked at, you uh, know, our school was pass-fail for the first two years. So we didn't have course grades, but we had board scores. We had clerkship grades. um, We had uh, research publications, uh, leadership roles, community service involvement, uh, AOA, you know, the Honor Society, uh, Gold Humanism. Uh, You know, we looked at all of that stuff. We looked at whether people are failing exams or failing courses or failing out of medical school more. Um, We even looked at residencies that they chose um, so you know, we we try to be as comprehensive as possible, and we found very very few differences. We found that the uh, humeds had a step one score that was a little bit lower than than their peers, maybe by six or eight points. Um, we found that they that more of them tended to need um, a, a non academic leave at some point. Not, I mean, again, the numbers are very small for that, but you know, when looking at it. Um, from a research perspective, there were more of them who needed to take a little bit of time off, either for personal reasons um, or for academic reasons, and then come back. But not there was no difference in the number who either withdrew from medical school or dismissed from medical school or failed courses. Those numbers were equivalent, mm-hmm. um, and everything else was pretty equal. Even the even the research, you know, the first author publication. Um, Proportions who got that before finishing medical school were the same, which is interesting, right? Because you would think well, humanities majors, they're never going to do any kind of research. But I think that there's a, an intellectual curiosity that comes with just being smart and ambitious, that it doesn't make a difference whether you've necessarily studied science or not. Um, we did not see a big difference in the types of residencies that people chose. There's, there was a non-significant trend towards psychiatry and primary care. Residencies, but you know, we didn't make too much of that. Um, well, that was pretty much it.
0: Okay. So I, I think the, the biggest answer in that for me would be students that don't have that hard sciences background coming in, going through a year of medical school and realizing that they don't like it. So there's, there isn't that significant, um, uh, withdrawal from medical no. school, you're saying?
1: Correct. And and, and that's because, um, you know, between the time they're accepted and the time to come, they have a chance to think about it. We keep in touch with them over the course of the years. We encourage them to take a year off, even two, if they have something really valuable to do. So we, we've sort of built in the opportunity to be very thoughtful about whether it's the right... Because, you know, the last thing we want, obviously, is to have someone come who's having second thoughts. Um.
0: Okay, So so... To build on that, what is your uh, dropout rate before they start medical school? Somebody that's accepted and then...
1: Oh, it's uh, less than 5%. Okay. I would say 5% or less, somewhere in that very, very small range.
0: Okay. And is there a, a typical reason why they're withdrawing?
1: I think the typical reason when it happens is that they just decide that it wasn't, that medicine isn't really it for them after all. Okay. Um, and that's probably for lots of, you know, personal reasons or intellectual interest reasons. Um, we don't really, we never never really delved further than that, but it's, you know, it has not been a dropout rate because people have fallen apart as undergraduates or, um you know, or anything else related to their performance. It's just people who have had time to think about it and say, you know what, I, I really don't think this is the right thing for me to do. Okay. Um, and that's good. I mean, for us, obviously, that's a good outcome. The last thing you want is someone who has made that decision after you know paying two years of tuition in medical school, and all of a sudden they say, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong place. I don't want to do this. Um, they're better off figuring that out before they come.
0: Okay. Who's the, for, for a pre-med student out there, Who's the the ideal applicant that you like to to see for this program?
1: Uh, I don't know. That's that's um, it's a good question. Um,
0: what are you looking for in the application?
1: I, so I think I think some of the aspects of what would make an ideal applicant include um, someone with a great degree of certainty, right, that they want to do it. So if if someone's on the fence, um it's not only not a good idea for them, but they're gonna come to an interview and they're gonna sound like they're on the fence and that's just not gonna it's not gonna fly. So it's someone who's given a fair amount of thought to wanting to do medicine and, and feels confident in their commitment to the field. Um that's number one. Number two, I think a really important distinguishing feature is someone who has also thought carefully and can articulate um, what they're going to do with their education. So, you know, there's the sort of classic question of why you want to be a doctor, and people tend to ask that. But I think the more important question for this cohort is, okay, so you're going to get in. You're going to have two years of college now, two full years where you can study really whatever you want. Um, What are you going to do with that time? to make it most valuable, and if you're going to take a gap year, you know, or two, how does that fit in? And then the question that follows that is, that's terrific. So why is that going to make you a different or better doctor or scientist? So it's it's the, it's the applicant who can come in. And, and again, you know, in an interview, you can be an applicant who describes that incredibly well. If you're not signing a contract to do it. If you change your mind in terms of what you want to study or how you want to study or why, it's perfectly legitimate. But there there's something um, interesting, maybe even special, about a sophomore in college who's given enough thought to that and can say, here's what I'm going to do with my education, here's why I'm going to do it, and here's why I think it's going to contribute greatly to the way I practice medicine. Um, so that's a, a big thrust of the application, you know, the essay they have to write and what the interviewer is going to want to hear from them. And and you you probably, since you've thought about this a lot, you probably wouldn 't be surprised to hear me tell you that that is very often the distinguishing feature because you could take kids who've gotten like you know a perfect s a t score um, but they really don 't have a sense of direction in terms of what they want to do and why that's value added um, and that doesn 't make them a bad person because it may be that six months or a year later once they 've had a chance to mature a little more they totally get it but but that that 's a big part of what we're what we're looking for you know there are there are lots of other important characteristics, people who are innovative and creative, people who are um, ambitious and, but, but, you know, resilience, there are a lot of other things that you could put on the list. Um, but I think the ability to articulate that and to demonstrate how well you've thought it through um, is a really important feature for us.
0: Okay. Interesting. And so it's it's something that has to come through in a, in a, in a strong essay or personal statement. Exactly. Okay. Going forward, there's obviously, I think every other day there's there's a new uh statistic coming out about how unhappy physicians are. Right. And I wonder how much of that unhappiness is just the years and years and years of straight through grueling mm-hmm. uh processes and obviously residencies constantly changing and I, I wonder what your take is on whether or not having the ability to kind of let these pre-med students go out and do what they're interested in will, on the other end, make them a little bit more complete, a little bit more happy.
1: Yes, I totally think so. I think that's the least data-driven statement that I could make. But I, in my in my heart of hearts, I believe that if you create a system where people aren't burned out before they've even gotten to medical school, then potentially two things will happen. Number one, hopefully they'll be less likely to be burned out at any time of, you know, during their training or career. But number two, <clears throat> you know, that one of the, one of the downfalls of anything that we do in medical education is that you can fix your piece of it, but downstream, if it's going to suck, it's going to suck. Right. So you can create a, a wonderful medical school environment um, that does all the right things and says and teaches all the right things. And as soon as all of your graduates hit their internships, then it all kind of goes up in a puff of smoke. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's an element of that. Um, and and so part of what we try to do in medical school is prepare our students for the realities of what the world of healthcare is like out there um, so, that what, so that the good things that we're teaching them can be sustained over time. So the other aspect of what I hope... I believe and I hope will happen is that students who come in um, having had the permission to think broadly and deeply about themselves and about medicine won't accept um, experiences down the line uh, that don't provide that opportunity. They won't accept the fact that residency has to be structured in a certain way that makes it incredibly oppressive. And they won't accept the fact that an experiment can only be there in a certain way because they've been taught to think more creatively and they won't accept Um, the healthcare policy ramifications that, you know, exclude people from being insured. I think that so much of what, what we struggle with in medicine in terms of, um, improving systems has to do with kind of just accepting, accepting the norms that we're exposed to. Um, that if you, if you are able to educate and train a group of people who don't necessarily accept it at face value, they can, um, they can be the drivers of even more dramatic change. Now, you know, that's very ambitious. And, and like I said in the beginning, that's not data-driven at all. Um, but it's a nice I feel like it's a nice thought experiment, at least, you know, to say to these people, you haven't been forced to march lockstep with everyone else. You haven't been forced to accept the MCAT as the, the, the definer of your ability to get into medical school or not. So let's, let's use some of that freedom um, and change things downstream. Whether it happens or not, you know, I may be old and
0: demented before. <laughs> before <laughs> I, I hope see.
1: it does. I hope, I hope so, too. It's, I think it's uh, it's exciting to see what it might turn into.
0: Yeah. Outstanding. When are applications due for FlexMed?
1: Um, so we're actually working on the logistics of it now. My sense is that the applications will be open um, probably late October, beginning of November. Um, and will be open for, you know, two or three months, probably closed around February. And then interviews will be in the spring and students will get their answers by the summer of their sophomore year. So it'll be all all sophomores who are applying.
0: Okay, so that's a different change, too. It was sophomores and juniors before, wasn't it? Correct. Okay. Correct. Well, folks, again, that was Dr. Muller from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. I hope you are able to get a lot of valuable information from what we talked about. And if you're a high school senior out there or a college freshman, and you you absolutely know that you want to go into medicine and be a physician, I think this program is a wonderful program for you to apply to. It lets you follow what you're passionate about outside of medicine, but also lets you go to medical school and lets you have that comfort of knowing that you have already been accepted so that you can kind of relax a little bit get outside of the, the pre-med gunner mentality and live your life. If you're interested in applying to this program or if you know of any other programs out there that are similar, whether or not there's a, a seven-year uh, BA or BS, MD program, let us know. I'd be interested in hearing from you, if you go to medicalschoolhq.net slash session16 and leave a comment uh, there on the on the post and and let us know what you think. I know I've mentioned this a couple times before, but if you could, if you haven't done already, go into iTunes, give us a, a rating, and leave us a review that allows us to remain visible, uh, more visible to other users out there so that more people can find and and see what we're doing here at the medical school headquarters. A five-star rating would be awesome if you think we deserve it. Again, I hope the information provided will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.